Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. You know, the West is all on fire. That's true. And the East is all drowning. If we can build pipelines from Canada to Texas for oil, why don't we run a pipe from Pennsylvania to California filled with water? Oil, oil costs, uh, oil makes money. Uh, human lives do too, technically, but you know, right. <laughs> nobody thinks that. Well, I mean, it ahead. just seems that there would be a lot less environmental impact if, like, the water pipeline was leaking than if the oil pipeline was leaking. You, you would be right. This is the, what what you've just described. Not that this will be the episode, although maybe it'll lead into it. What you've just described is the perfect example of how powers and principalities totally fuck up human imagination. Where, where, where it's like, you know, a power and principality tells us we, using our human brains, can, can build a pipeline from Canada to Texas and harness the power of the earth. And uh, but uh, not for water. That would, of course. Right. Be even, not though, as, not like, as cool. even though even though the Romans brought it down from the Alps using like stone aqueducts. Right. Two thousand years ago. <laughs> exactly. But we're we're a little bit stumped by it here in 2021, apparently. It's too hard. It's too hard. <laughs> You're right. Oh my! It's been a wacky one. I'm. Uh, yeah. My, oh yeah. Yeah. I need a break. I've got a, a like a break in like two, three weeks, maybe. I have a week. Yeah. yeah I get yeah. a week too here, and uh, I think two two weeks. That'll be good. That'll yeah. be good. Maybe we'll both have the same week off. Oh my God, that'd be nuts. <laughs> that'd be nuts. I, uh, yeah. it, it's been interesting. Um, for me, I've been really digging my classes. I really have. They're just, you know, it's just nonstop. It's been, it's always for, for anybody in school, it's nonstop. But right for me right now, it's, you know, book after book. I'm, I'm reading, um, there's a, a, a 19th century theologian named frederick schleiermacher i'm in a class about him uh-huh. and i'm reading uh for this coming monday i have to have the first 33 paragraphs of his like master his like master work read like he wrote this big big thick piece of theology called the christian faith and i have to have <laughs> the first 33 paragraphs of it read and like a paragraph you know in in theology world a paragraph begins with like a statement so like like paragraph two is you know the christian church is consummated by the holy spirit and that's like that line and then and then it's like you know maybe five pages of text explaining what that means with no that does that that my friend is not a paragraph okay that is what 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 people call a chapter okay it's what it's called it's just what it's called in in christian dogmatics and christian systematic dogmatics which is what this is. That that's how it is. When Carl Bart, who I took, I took a class on Carl Bart, my very first semester in my PhD program. Carl Bart wrote thirteen volumes of Church Dogmatics. Schleiermacher only wrote one, but yeah. but you know Bart wrote thirteen of them, and you know each volume has like a hundred chapters or a hundred paragraphs, 
and and it's like you know and and their each volume is like a phone book and so you know you sit there and you're like cool and then you, you kind well, of read these giant me, sections let me tell you buddy of all the problems christianity has i didn't think punctuation would be one of them but apparently it's one of the principal ones that's a- it <laughs> it's it's one of the key ones it's one of the key ones yeah it's uh sorry he's been cool i've been you know i've I, I only have about I only have about 80 more pages of him and and I, I'm gonna probably crank that out tonight because then I gotta do a write-up and I gotta read a 200 page book for Tuesday and I gotta read uh, another 200 page book for Wednesday so that's I got aw- that's awful shit to do I guess so. but how are things what's going on with you uh good um I came down with a, a bug. Oh, dude, um, that's terrible. Not V-Bug. I don't think it's V-Bug. But okay. um, on uh, Monday, I started feeling a little uh, flu-like symptoms because it's, you know, flu symptoms, flu season. Flu season. So uh, I uh, I didn't go to school on Tuesday, and I went and got a test on Wednesday just to be on the safe side. I didn't lose my taste. I didn't lose my smell or anything like that. Just typical, like, every other flu I've ever had is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um. So I went to a clinic and got a rapid test, which I still have not received a result from. So I have missed Tuesday, Wednesday, and now Thursday of school. Oh, my God. And uh, I'm probably going to miss tomorrow as well because they won't let me back without negative tests. So. Oh, my boy. frustrations with the healthcare system continue. <laughs> yeah, that's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I actually didn't go to play practice. I put Amanda on that the other night. Um, she'll have to send you some of the, the video that she was taking. We we've been trying to figure out how to construct um, horses on stage with humans. Oh, okay. And it's it's rather entertaining. And uh, I've got a plan for how I want to construct these these living puppets uh mm-hmm. but we were just kind of doing rough ins we were just kind of doing paces to kind of get everybody where they needed to be sure. and uh blocking stuff right yeah and uh <laughs> so some of my actors were improvising with like curtains and things to like right. hold and uh there was some testicular uh damage done and uh Always it's rather entertaining you'll have to watch it to, to really enjoy it <laughs> i will but watch. uh but I wasn't there for it. I was, I was, uh, Amanda was, was subbing for me. And I was like, oh, I really wish, really wish I could have seen that in person. <laughs> it's always funny. There, there's never a moment where getting hit in the balls is, is not funny. It's always, it's always at least a little funny. You know, so I'm with you. Uh, well, that's good. Well, the thing is, I've just been sitting around mm-hmm. um, for the last three days. Um, watching the news, which is terrible for anyone's brain. True. And uh, something that keeps coming up on all the morning shows and it's being talked about all the time on the uh, on the cable networks is all the incidents of passengers behaving badly on flights. Yes. And I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit today. Absolutely. I if you don't mind. Yeah, ma'am. Um, so the, for those of you that aren't aware, there's been a significant uptick in airplane uh, passengers violence, both towards each other and towards flight crews. Um, 
in the last year or so. It was it was on the rise before the COVID era started. Uh, since COVID, it's really exploded into like 1,400 cases that have been reported already um, in just the last year, which is astronomical. And it's mainly, I guess, from the reporting that I saw, a lot of it has to do with like mask mandates and stuff. Yeah. So airlines have stopped like serving alcohol because some of them are, a lot of them were alcohol related. Um, But I mean, there's just been a, a, a general disrespect. Now, let's be honest, if you're 30,000 feet in the air, there's not a whole lot that can be done uh, to stop an unruly passenger who's assaulting somebody, right? You can't just like pull the plane over or, you know, have the police show up. There's nobody to help. So a lot of these stewardesses have been taking, I just saw today, have been taking like self-defense classes. And they're like, oh, now I feel confident that I can deal with a threat in the air. Um, And the first thing I thought was, well, let me tell you something from a, from the perspective of somebody that's been in a lot of self-defense classes over the course of his life. Um, A self-defense class is not something that you take for like six hours on a weekend. And then suddenly you're, you know, Jackie Chan, like (laughs) that's not how it works. Right. It has to, uh, for a lot of those techniques to work, there has to be muscle memory involved, which requires repetition and practice and, and, constant um constant practice with it constant uh, using it right sure um we would have self-defense classes when i worked in the prison system like every month mm-hmm. where we'd go up and they'd only be 30 minutes or whatever but we'd have to do them and that was to keep us fresh on these sure. different techniques and if anything changed or whatever because they're not something that uh that you can just do after you right. watch somebody else do it for five minutes right but i see all these like see all these stewardesses are like in their 50s and they're they look like soccer moms and they're just like i feel like i can handle myself in a in a fight now and they're like they're like slapping these dummies with the palms of their hands and they're going yeah you know i'm like oh, you are going to get yourself killed lady <laughs> you know? that's crazy so and i and i you know, it came to me uh, that like and many, and uh, many other things, uh, the reason that the airlines are offering these things to their employees is, is simply to shut them up, to to provide the illusion that something's being done about the problem. Um, because we tend to, what I'm reflecting on is we tend to, um, we, t- we tend to do things with mask mandates or self-defense classes or whatever that don't really address the problem itself. They mm. address a symptom. And uh, we, we comfort ourselves by thinking that we can have some kind of control over the situation with things like uh, wearing a mask or sure. uh, uh, self-defense class or something like that. It gives us an illusion of control. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there that make a lot of money providing these sorts of trainings and these sorts of things. And um, it, it strikes me that the the problem won't be fixed until the problem is addressed, not with how to mm. deal with the problem. So, um, and, and people just like losing their minds over simple things like a mask mandate or somebody bumped in, like a stewardess hit you in the, in the elbow with a cart. We've right. got a societal issue where people think somehow that they're entitled to behave that way, yeah. um, which is not the case. And we've also got, uh, so there's a lack of fundamental respect for other human beings. Um, mm-hmm. 
that that's part of the problem. And I think the other problem is a lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. um, for for me, for a person to be able to get fired from their job because of a tweet that they made in 2009, um, ha that has a lot more social repercussion than somebody paying a $1,200 fine for assaulting someone on an airplane over Denver, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's not, there's not a lot of uh, uh, repercussion for these things. And I, I'm wondering if we should maybe start bringing back like stocks and pillories. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> probably not, but I know what you're shame, saying. Shame, shame has gone by the wayside anymore, right? Like there, there's a lot of people that just don't feel shame anymore. Shame used yeah. to keep people in line, and it, and it doesn't seem that there's any kind of shameful behavior anymore, um, other than what's like mandated on social media. And sometimes sure. that's not always justice, right? No, um, you, I think you're right. So I, my question to you is, how do we address the problem of, let's just pie it down specifically to like airline violence, right? <laughs> how do we first, how do we first attack this problem? Because I'm telling you right now, it's not self-defense tactics for 50 year old flight attendants. <laughs> that's you're just right, not gonna you're right. I, I have a thought. It's similar to um, when I was pastoring up in Pennsylvania, there, there was a push. Oh, this sort of died out a little bit, maybe by my second year. But there was a push towards, in that area, towards uh, churches taking um, kind of uh, uh, um, shooting drills, you know, like Right. What do we do if a if a killer comes into your building? Like and 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 a lot of churches up in the town I served in Kerwinsville have um, protocols for what to deal with that and and have folks whose job it is to you know lock the doors as service starts and to die and first. That's what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean it's just it's, it's silly. And on one hand, on one hand, there's. Uh, uh, I think a context in which um, caring for a church and the members of the church, the folks worshiping at your church in this way is important. For example, um, I would say that if you are a black congregation in the deep South, you should probably have a conversation about what to do if a deranged white guy comes into your church and kills you and tries to kill you. Like you should probably right. have a conversation about that you know, to, to keep people safe. Um, I think, out, but I think a lot of that stuff, and this is one of the reasons why I ended up not advocating for this at, at the church I served, like, other than the fact that we're just some white people in the middle of Pennsylvania and people don't shoot us up, you know, other than that, <laughs> um, the, the stuff that you would receive training you would receive is and I, I think I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago is security theater that's what that's called like it's right. just it's, it's you know if a dude comes in with an AK-47 you're just gonna get fucking shot like like that's yeah. the answer and and so like and and so I suppose one strategy is to make yourself as small as possible so maybe you don't get shot but other than that like 
the strategy isn't at this point the marshal the trained federal marshal that is attending your church will stand up and initiate protocol x like that's not what's going to happen <laughs> like that's that's all that's all made up and and so these things are designed to make us feel better but but ultimately like the 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 thing that keeps us safe is trust accountability and communication that's what keeps us safe like we can't we can't control a person who decides to shoot up a church like we can't control that but other ways we can keep ourselves safe include things like you know making sure that we are really transparent about who gets to be around kids and or not those are things in right. churches that like ha have real and present danger right like Right. Churches are one of the number one places where kids get raped. It's that simple. Like, like it's not yeah. it. And how, how do you fix that? There are, there are concrete things you can do to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but instead, these these other things sort of arise that that block some of that. It's like the sex trafficking myth. Right. Right. We got to we got to stop um, young white girls from being trafficked for sex. And then when somebody's like, yeah, human trafficking is a real problem. Well over 90% of all human trafficking is for black and brown day laborers. Right. And then everybody goes, mm -mm, we want to help the white, the, the white girls that are yeah. getting trafficked for sex. And everybody's like, but that's not happening, guys. Like, like, it's, <laughs> right. it's such a small thing. It's all made up. This is what's happening. I say all of that just to draw a connection to, to sort of what you're saying. I, I don't know how to stop the airline, the, the airline business. I, I look at that and I, you know, I, I, on one hand, there's some obvious culprits as to why people have become increasingly more violent, you know, uh, particularly around mask mandates. The, there's obvious culprits like once you cast mask mandates, a perfectly reasonable thing to ask an unvaccinated population in the middle of a pandemic. Like, like <laughs> once, you, once you cast max, mask mandates as one step away from Auschwitz, <laughs> you know, then of course somebody's going to tell a fifty-year-old stewardess to fuck off. You know, for asking you to put a mask on. Right. Um, and so there's an irresponsibility, to say the least, among media and among leadership and and stuff like that. Um, but that's that's a that's just me diagnosing a problem. That's not me coming up with a with a treatment right. you know well and the, and the fact of the matter is it's kind of a loaded question there's not really an answer to it because because uh, the problem is so endemic towards uh other factors you know it's not just airlines i mean you can't go to a school board meeting without getting shouted down over mask mandates now you mm -hmm. know which brings me to my question about like the stocks and pillories right mm -hmm. now if you look at like the taliban rule in afghanistan right now I'm not here to advocate the Taliban rule in Afghanistan. I'm not sure. saying, but I guarantee you they wouldn't have any problems on their fucking airlines. Okay. Because the no. way they handle shit is a lot more severe and a lot more immediate than the way mm -hmm. we handle shit. You mm -hmm. know, um, I think we have, we, we tend to over legislate or over penalize things in this country a lot. Sure. We mm -hmm. have people doing enormous jail sentences for relatively minor offenses. Yep. Um, if we just, you know, stuck them in front of the courthouse for a couple of hours and threw vegetables at them, <laughs> you know, we could save a lot of money on, you know, incarceration and mm -hmm. we can let these people go back to their lives. And maybe that would have a more of an impact than um, 
you know, a lengthy court sentence, which makes them a victim in the end. Right. right. Yeah. Um, because people feel bad for them. They're like, oh, well, you did this thing and it wasn't that bad, but this penalty happened to you. And now now suddenly they're a victim. Right. And it's like and that's a That's that's kind of an unordered thing, too, because, you know, let's not forget these people did criminal behavior. They did something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Uh, was it severe enough to lose five years or 10 years of their life? No, I'm not saying that. But I mean, they're not completely blameless. But, um, you know, so I think we've got to figure something out as far as, as far as how we can, how, how, how can like a private industry hold somebody to account better than our government? You know, right. if somebody yeah. writes a mean tweet, and says something that that somebody else is offended by, even if it was in like 2009, mm-hmm. you know, we have companies right now that are just bailing on those people and saying, well, you know, we can't be associated with that person and they're right. fired. That has enormous consequences. How can a private company exert that sort of control over an individual when even our government can't? Sure, sure. You know, and th- there's a couple of layers to what you're talking about. Um on one hand, I think that I'm I'm have been talking off and on about shame in liberal democracies for a little while now, since I read a really cool essay a few years ago by a dude at the University of Pennsylvania, not Penn State, UPenn, um, named yeah, Donovan the Schaefer. The, the, good Ivy one. <laughs> right. the Ivy League one. The Ivy League one. Not those rabble rousers at Penn State where I went. Right, right. <laughs> um, the uh, this guy's name is Donovan Schaefer. He's in the religion department, and he wrote an essay on shame and Trump a couple years ago that I read. That I, I really, really got me thinking about stuff. And one of the things he says that I think is really uncontroversial, at least after you think about it, like maybe you, maybe somebody's never thought about this, but once you think about it, you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But like one of the things he says is, is like in in a liberal democracy, um, shame is really the only form of social control we have that isn't like borderline illegal you know like 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 somebody goes well one way we can control the one way we can make people do the right thing is by firing squad and i'm like well that (laughs) might be a way we can make people do the right thing but it's also awful like like it's a little authoritarian (laughs) it's a little authoritarian you know like uh or or you know in saudi arabia nobody ever jaywalks yeah because then they go to jail for like 20 years like like of course of course nobody jaywalks in saudi arabia but like but like we don't do that and so like donovan schaefer's like shame is really a cornerstone component of like how we how societies like ours work like it's it's also a cornerstone component for like how social change happens, right? Like, how is it that um, Lyndon B. Johnson eventually signs the Civil Rights Act in the 60s? Well, it's really not that hard. What ends up happening is constant, constant shame. You know, mm-hmm. like, like over and over and over, the United States and particularly white people in this United States are confronted with the fact that like black eight-year-old girls are having German shepherds kill them you know by government officials you know like like that's once you see it enough you go hmm, maybe we're the bad guys maybe yeah, we might have to change. fix that right. yeah that might be bad what donovan schaefer points to is what's kind of a weird thing that's happening and it's been happening before trump but like what sort of gets accelerated in trump is this 
is this immunity that many people in our society are beginning to have to shame. And lo and behold, as people become immune to shame, they become cunts, you know, <laughs> like they become, they become dicks, you know, all over the place. Like, like, and, and they can't, you know, because, and, and, and Donovan Chambers like this, this isn't that complicated. Shame is the cornerstone, not only to liberal democracy, but it's the cornerstone to how you raise a child. Like it's the cornerstone to like everything we do in our, in our like education system and in our culture and everything. Like, like yeah. if you don't, if you don't, you have two options to teach a kid how to be a human being. You can, when they do something wrong, beat them or you can shame them. Right. And, and um, since beating children tends to be frowned upon for a number of reasons, and since ch child psychology is beginning to tell us, hey, if you beat kids a little too much, then they become violent assholes, you know, maybe you <laughs> shouldn't do that. Like, we turn to shame. And, and, and that's, you know, it, it sounds weird, but that's, that's true. That's reality. But the more people become immune to shame, the more it becomes impossible for us to have, like, a common moral grammar, right? Like, why why is it so bad that trump mocked that disabled reporter what do you mean why is it so bad <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like i don't know it's because it, it's kind of a cunty thing to do you don't, <laughs> you, don't right. you don't openly mock people with physical disabilities and um, and then like you've got this growing number of people who are like i don't see the problem like like it's just oh my god and so i think you're onto something with the shame piece for sure well i just feel like that too much power to shame resides in uh the wrong places true right? i think that's you true. have a very much a mob mentality when it comes to yeah. shame and mm -hmm. uh you know a lot of the consequences are are, are financial corporate mm -hmm. um, consequences right um, now that can be used to a good effect. You know, if a company doesn't like Texas's abortion plan, they can threaten to remove their company from Texas and that can influence the political situation. But that's all about money, right? I'm talking about like somebody who gets shamed online for something. And, it, and I'm not saying it didn't do something wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is with our legal system, you have due process. You have the rule of law. You have a somewhat consistent schedule of punishment. Now, we can argue about whether that punishment is accurate or, or fair given whatever crime, but the point is it's supposed to be administered evenly and with, with, uh, without, without prejudgment, right? It's supposed to be the same for everybody. We don't have that sort of thing with, with shame. Right. I can get away with saying a lot more on Twitter than Alec Baldwin can. Right. Sure. Just mm -hmm. because no one cares what I say on Twitter. But uh, Alec Baldwin can't get away with even expressing an opinion on Twitter without getting shamed. And he could end up losing his royalties. He could end up losing, you know, acting gigs, whatever. So there's sure. a much higher degree of responsibility and a much higher degree of, uh, there's much less freedom in a way for a guy like Alec Baldwin or any celebrity or anybody that's in the public eye. And I don't think that that's equal justice under the law, right? But we're not talking about laws. We're not talking about things that are legal or illegal. I mean, it's not illegal to be a dickhead, you know? You're right. So You're right. 
but the consequences can be far more extreme than crimes that actually are illegal. You know, somebody can get onto a plane and knock out two flight attendants, uh, two of a, a flight attendant's teeth and mm. pay a $1,500 fine. And somebody else can wear blackface to a party in 2010 and lose their entire career. Like it sure. seems a little bit out of, uh, of alignment there. That seems like uh, a major issue for me. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I want to know, what what do you think about why why do you think stocks and pillories are such a bad idea? <laughs> well, so let me say one more thing. I yeah, what you're describing is also um, a part of what's sort of called by by academic nerds uh, neoliberalism, and so this is one of the listeners. This is one of the reasons why when I talk about like politics i i say things like political liberalism because political liberalism is not the same as being a liberal and it's also not the same as neoliberalism what neoliberalism is is according to nerdy academics is um uh, a form of sort of societal governmental orientation in which the re um the logics of the market sort of dictate the public square politics, social interactions, whatever. And um, what a lot of sort of philosophers or economists or political scientists um, are talking about when they say we live currently in this sort of neoliberal state is um, we are trained as political people to sort of think through politics and think through human interaction. as if it was a marketplace. Um, and so uh, one example of this is um, we, we imagine, it's difficult for us to imagine um, vaccine rollout that doesn't center around a private company owning a pharmacy. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to imagine that there's an alternative if we think a little bit about it, we can probably come up with one. And there are examples in our country of like pop-up vaccine rollouts or, or stuff like that. But by and large, probably the majority of, uh, of folks in our country who got the vaccine got it at a CVS pharmacy or a Walmart pharmacy or whatever. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but, what in, but, but it's an example of a sort of a neoliberal mentality in which the market sort of runs things or the logic of the market sort of runs things in many other countries the idea that a private company would have so much control over uh, a public health measure is odd like no you know if, if, if we were norwegian we would get our vaccine from a government-run clinic that's oh, the yeah. answer You're- you're getting me completely on another subject here. I could go for a whole episode on just that. But go ahead. I understand. <laughs> like like that but but that and and the reason for that isn't that there is no like neoliberalism in Norway. It's just it's just they have a different relationship with it. Now, the way this sort of manifests itself here now in sort of what what you're saying is because of the sort of neoliberal bent to what a lot of how a lot of our culture sort of runs. And by the way, this this like really gets kicked off in Obama. And I love Obama dearly. I would vote for that man every day. But like a lot of scholars are like Obama kind of kickstarts this in a big way in our country, which is not 
great. But like what ends up happening is you have um we'll use Twitter as a good example. Social media in general, but Twitter is a good example because this is a big thing with Trump, right? Like Trump gets kicked off of Twitter for violating standards and practices of Twitter. He does. And yeah. everybody and and everybody on his side freaks out because what about the Bill of Rights? And then the Bill of Rights Bill of- is like I protect you from the United States government, not Twitter. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, well. The hard thing is, it becomes difficult for us to imagine a public square without social media. And when it becomes difficult for us to imagine that, um, and there's no, it's going to sound weird to say it. There's no government option for the social media (laughs) there's no there's no iGov you know or there's no gov book like then so much of our public square you know a a thing that's deeply important to political liberalism deeply important to the way uh, civics works so much of our public square is now oriented around market logic and it becomes hard for us to um navigate um that that stuff without beginning to think that way i even do that too you know i we all do it but like i do that um when um what's her name we had that episode on the the chick from the mandalorian um who who got gina carano like gina carano (laughs) said said some dumb shit and got fired. Yeah. Now, the main yeah. reason why she got fired, which we talked about, was she didn't apologize for saying dumb shit. If she just apologized, it wouldn't matter that she was a conservative. She, yeah. Everybody would just be like, yeah, cool, whatever, we, and we move on, right? But instead, she doubles down. She she doesn't apologize. She made Disney look bad. And she made Disney look bad. Yeah. And so Disney fired her. And And there's no recourse. There's nothing anybody can do, even though it's not like she walked into – a White House press conference and said, hi, as an employee of Disney, I think the Muslims should be killed. Like, like he, she didn't <laughs> yeah. say that. She, she's just She's using social media. She's using something that she has access to on the market, you know, and, and, and it doesn't matter. It should. Maybe it should matter, but it doesn't matter because in a neoliberal state, the, the, the sort of common life of the state is is actually governed by the market. That's the answer. Um, and uh, and when there's no sort of when there's no kind of counter power from from I'm going to say the government. And all I really mean by that is a public option. That's really all I mean by that. I don't mean the state. What I mean is right. the public, the, the thing that is funded with public money. When there's no public uh, option alternative, when there's no counterpower in that way, well, then we have a problem. Like, of course, somebody can go get their vaccine at CVS. That's fine. But if there's no way to get your vet, a better, here's a better example. FedEx versus the United States Postal Service. There are lots of people who are like, why not just let FedEx do it all? Here's a well, that would be a very <laughs> neoliberal thing to do. Like, like, but what if they're more efficient? Either way, it would be a very neoliberal thing to do. Like, there's a reason why we don't contract the entire United States military out to G 
Jeff Bezos' secret army. Like, right. we don't do that. Why? Well, it should be obvious why. Like, there's, there's <laughs> a reason why we don't do private firefighting contracts. Right. In which, in which only folks who subscribe to the fire department for $11 a month, <laughs> you know, have <laughs> right. access to somebody to help them when their house burns down. Like, <laughs> no, like, that would be very stupid and very bad. Right. Um, and you don't want the neoliberal free market logic to pervade everything because then those exact things happen. Um, I will be done for now. Go for <laughs> I understand all that, but yes. I, here's, here's my thing going back to the stocks and pillories, right? Please do. Uh, you're in second century Palestine. Mm-hmm. You get caught stealing a duck from your neighbor. They probably tie you to a tree and whip you a couple of times. And then that's it. Your punishment's done. Sure. You know, you don't have to go to jail for five years. You don't have to, you know, go through all these hoops and regulations. We have a similar process in the United States where for small time offenders, um, they can accept lesser uh, sentences, sentence lengths by going to boot camps. Right. Oh, okay. In, in, in Pennsylvania, if you are convicted of a low-level drug offense that carries like a five-year minimum, um, which is another topic and another for another day, but let's say that uh, you get convicted for uh, possession of marijuana or whatever it is, and you get sentenced to five years, you can actually go to a boot camp for six months instead. And assuming that you cooperate and do everything that you're told to do at the boot camp, you can be released back out on the street as early as six months. That's really not that much different than, uh, you know, it's not a corporal punishment, but in a way it sort of is. I mean, those guys at the boot camps are really getting through the paces as far as physical fitness and, and, you know, they're only allowed to sleep four hours a day. And it's the same thing that we do to non-criminals in the military. Uh, (laughs) True. You know, um, I think that's something that deserves exploration. Sure. Um, I think that that might actually solve a lot of problems because people are a lot more afraid of getting whipped than they are getting put in jail for five years, apparently, you know, and I I wonder how much of it could be uh, how much could be reclaimed if people saw immediate consequences for their Mm. actions or Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm not talking immediate in, in, in so far as like foregoing uh, due process or habeas corpus or anything like that. I'm not I'm not saying to accelerate it to that degree, but it just seems like we have court cases that drag out for years. And mm-hmm. like if we could just get it on, get it over with and administer a punishment at a state level or at a federal level. And and just button up button it up and be done with it and people could see the immediate consequences of it it might it might be more effective now uh, the counter argument to that would be like people that's that that say the death penalty is like a deterrent well sure. the death penalty isn't a deterrent really because nobody that commits a, a, a crime that carries the death penalty is planning on getting caught <laughs> right or or they're batshit crazy and they're probably going to do it anyway you know like yeah like it doesn't deter people because they're because they're not uh it shouldn't shouldn't be a deterrent uh, it should be i i'm, I'm in favor of it because I, I feel like some people just can't be fixed so 
be done with it. But that's another argue. That's another episode too. But <laughs> but um, for for some of these for some of these offense low level offenses that people reasonably can be convicted of, reasonably can expect to be held account accountable for. Wouldn't it be just better if we just got it over with and did something like the stocks and pillories? It would it would do a lot of good things as far as freeing up you know courts it would do free up a lot of space in jails um it's something that you know we i think we could explore i don't know why we got away from it so much my parents used to tell me stories about how like their teachers would wrap them on the knuckles with with uh you know with their yardsticks or whatever i don't mm-hmm. know if there's any truth to that or not but uh, that's what they said you know not no teachers ever hit me but um, why are we so against that? Why are we so afraid of that? Are we just afraid that it's going to be administered improperly or unfairly? Or why 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 don't we um, use those sorts of tactics? Sure. Well, I think part of it has to do, well, I have a couple of ideas. Um, I think that I think that in general, the my relatively uninformed sort of view of crime and punishment, you know, sort of boils down to I'm really interested in why people end up committing crimes in the first place. And and I think that for many folks, if we can address well, why is it that you committed this crime? I think a lot of times there's certainly not all the time, but I think a lot of times there's material reasons why they commit crime. You know, people commit crime because they're desperate. Some people commit crime because they're fucked up, but, but a lot of times people commit crime because they're desperate. And, 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 and I'm not saying that we, one of the features of living in a liberal democracy is that we have no rulers. The only thing that we're ruled by is the law. Like that's the answer, you know? Right. And and I'm okay with that. I really am. And so like I'm okay with there being consequences for breaking laws. But but the I think that I I always want to stay away from or my instinct is to stay away from um how do we stop crime? Well we stop crime by making the punishment so terrible that nobody wants to do it. I'm like, yeah, but like let's be real, you know, if if I'm in a material situation in which it's either crime or death. Well, of course I'm going to commit crime. Like, like, sure. and, and if, and if the deterrent is more death, then great, I'm going to die anyway. So like, I might as well, I might as well commit the crime. Like, whereas, you know, if, if policies were in place that um, relieved the material pressure, you know, and, and folks were less likely to commit crime because the material circumstances weren't driving them to do it, that'd be different. Um, and so that's always been my instinct is to sort of think through in that ways, or at least maybe not my instinct, but the way I've been trained to think about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I think ultimately we've become a society or, or we've grown into a society where um, things like uh, physical punishment in that way um, bothers us, which is interesting because. But does it. Well, but that's what I was going to say. I think what's interesting about it is I think a lot of people in our in our society, maybe, you know what, maybe I'll put it this way. Maybe I'll put it this way. I think that there are many people in our culture who 
are totally fine with physical punishment as long as it doesn't it's not them you know and as long as it's not their kids you know as as long as it's as long as it's their enemy then great you know and and it's one of those things i think about uh, january 6 and i think about well i was just going to bring that up but go ahead uh, and so so i have my uh my an opinion that i have that that is a little embarrassing but is an opinion that i'm willing to <laughs> to stand by is that i think that the I think that every single person who participated in the January 6th insurrection should be absolutely in jail for the rest of their lives. I believe that. <laughs> I is is that a particularly noble thing to believe? No. You know, I'm not saying <laughs> right. that. But like I think there should have been public trials. I think they should all be in jail and I think that after they're all in jail somebody, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, I don't really care, should be like here is why they're in jail. They are in jail because in the United States, you can do whatever the fuck you want, except yeah. <laughs> yeah. try to destroy the United States. But, like, a lot like, of them, but a lot of them aren't in jail. A lot of them are right. walking around because all they've got is trespassing charges. Those are small charges. So this is what I was going to get to. Like, why is it OK for the police to use like less than lethal rounds, beanbag rounds on protesters? But we can't use that as like a sort of punishment because sure. everything I don't agree that every one of those people in the January 6th riot should be in jail for the rest of their lives. I don't believe that at all. I think a lot of the motivation for that crime, that specific crime in particular, is emotional, right? Sure. They got whipped into yeah. a frenzy. They did things that they probably wouldn't normally do. Some of them probably would but uh, well, I don't think every person that invaded the Capitol on January sixth is like an evil, no, anti-American no, uh, that deserves to be locked away in Guantanamo Bay for the rest of their life. I don't think that's the case. But I do think if, I mean, one of the things that they said was uh, one of the defenses was that like, well, Black Lives Matter riots and um, where what's the difference? Well, there's. At the end of the day, there's not really a difference between looting and burning and breaking into the Capitol. It's the same thing. So you're defending yourself by defending Black Lives Matter? What, like, what do you yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, the, you know? the defense is odd. Like, you're right. Black Lives Matter <laughs> yeah. should be able to do this. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Well. well, then why can you do it? You know, but, you know, Black Lives Matter guys are getting blasted all the time with like less than lethal rounds and, and all that stuff. I don't think there was a shot fired except for the girl that got herself killed whenever she broke into the, like the final entryway, you right. know, but like that, because the, they were handled in completely different fashions. What if we just made a rule that said, if you're caught in a riot, if you're caught in an unlawful riot and you're found guilty of it, we put you against a building and we shoot you with 10 pepper balls <laughs> and then you can yeah. go on your way, you know, and, and treat everybody that way. Treat it. Mm -hmm. It's the same for the Capitol rioters as it is for the Black Lives Matter looters, which weren't Black Lives Matter, by the way. But that's not yes, the point. Th that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> those, would be, those would be other looters. We already know those that. Would be, <laughs> those would be looters, not Black Lives Matter. But anyway, right. the point I'm trying to make is you could have an immediate consequence. People, by the time the January 6th trials are all done, I mean, it's going to be our, our society is so fickle. That, you yeah. know, the sting is already starting to go away and people are holding rallies now to defend those people. Right. 
right? I right. mean, that's not very many people, granted, but I mean, there's still that mentality that maybe those guys are right. Well, let's just handle it quick. And let's let's just, you know, there's no doubt if you're on video swinging your American flag at a cop that like there's no there's no like it doesn't have to be that deep. Right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it, that's a pretty clear evidence that you were involved in doing something you shouldn't have been doing. Let's handle it. Let's swat you on the ass and be on your way. Go back home. Go back to your job and do your thing and don't fucking do it again. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that I I think that I hear you, and sure. So I I think that one of the one of the options, one of the things that you mentioned as a possible reason why maybe lots of folks aren't interested in this or or are are weary about this is uh, the question of authority and who is doing this, and and already we're we're we are, we're in a world in which. Black folks are disproportionately tried and convicted sure. and punished, you know, in a way that's very different than white folks. And I think that that is something that I look at and I, I can see why somebody then would be very concerned. I, you know, it's funny. It's funny, Matt. That, that makes I, sense. I, and I know, I, I know. I mean, I, I think that there I'm really of two very strange minds about <laughs> about so many things now. Ever since I rediscovered myself as perhaps a liberal, a political liberal, and not just a raging Marxist, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm a I'm awash with contradictions because, on one hand, one of the things that I have is in my head is uh, a relentless questioning of um, if the state has the authority to wield violence right that's that's a live that's a live moral option you know okay it, well the state already does that you're right no you're exactly way. right i'm but, i'm not i'm not continue. here to live in a fantasy world like i understand <laughs> okay. it does that you know i understand it's doing that it's it's one of those things um i just am thinking more in terms of like a theo ethical theory of of like you know how things should be like on one hand there's there's a live question the live question doesn't change anything right now, but there's a live question in ethics and moral theology and stuff like that of, okay, well, does the state even have the authority to have, to control matters of life and death? Um, or from a theological perspective, is that a problem? I have that, you know, kind of present. And then I have all the neoliberal stuff in which I'm ultimately advocating or what is ultimately a strong public option, like like an, an ultimately a reassertion of state power, you know, that says, no, we've got to we, we can't just leave it to the capitalists. We've got to make sure that there is a we're meeting power with power and countering that. And so I'm of various minds about the whole thing. I think that I think that on one hand, I, I have a strong instinct that tells me, no, man, we shouldn't just we shouldn't just physically hurt people. You know, even if we're met, even if they've committed crimes, um, that would be inhumane. And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, but here's the thing, like. Where the 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 stuff you're bringing forward, like like the, the criminal element that we are, are we are offering up is not <laughs> is not what do we do about a black guy that gets caught with the with with some weed, you know, like like. What do we do? We let that fucking guy go. It's weed. It's yeah. not a big fucking deal. That's what we right. do. You know? um, like, like that's the answer. But instead, the criminal element we're bringing up are things like, 
January 6th insurrectionists? Or what do we do about, you know, fucking assholes who beat up somebody on a plane because they didn't want right. to wear a mask, you know? And and in situations like that, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe you maybe you let Governor Tom Wolf send some people to beat him up. Like, like I don't well, know. What and, you do. and that's a, and that's the thing. Like, that's that's the tough. That's the conundrum. Right. Because yeah. that kind of of base instinct, that kind of violence is being perpetrated by these individuals. They're the ones that are conducting themselves in this way. And isn't it kind of just a taste of their own medicine? Sure. To maybe. to. Uh, maybe punish them in a, in a similar fashion. Now I'm not advocating that we go around beating people. I know, but I know. I'm being silly, but, but there, there, there seems to be a lack of respect and a lack of fear um, and a lack of shame pervasive in our society. Like nobody respects authority anymore. Nobody respects or nobody fears authority anymore because Oftentimes, I mean, John Hinckley got sent, shot the president and got sent to a mental hospital because, you know, like there's just there's case after case of people that deserve punishment not receiving it. And there's thousands more cases of people who don't re don't don't deserve the punishment that they got receiving it in spades, you know, mm -hmm. and I think we could probably equalize it a lot if we dealt with it in a in a more uh, abrupt and efficient manner. I can guarantee you that the Taliban is not going to have issues in Afghanistan with, you know, violence on planes. Sure. They're not. They're not going to have issues with people storming their capital because they're not, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. not to say that I want to live in a totalitarian state like the, like the Taliban is going to implement. I'm just saying that you know, there there's a a healthy fear, if you will, sure. of their authority, um, and it's authority brought about by brutality. Now, I'm not saying, and in the United States, we've always been able to kind of do things better than than other countries have. Like we we do things better overall. Sure. Uh, when when it comes to like. Uh, our justice system and it's not perfect. It's, I'm not saying we don't have problems. We absolutely do, but we can pretty much adjust ourselves to, to do something fairly and equitably and controlling. Um, we've shown this time and time again, throughout our history, we failed on a lot of occasions too, but, but we have the ability to kind of um, restrain ourselves if necessary. And our justice system is one of those examples people can say whatever they want and do some pretty atrocious things and they're allowed to because it's not against the law. Right. Sure. And, and, you know, you can't, you can't do that in Afghanistan. Now you speak out against the Taliban, they're going to kill you in the United States. You can bash the, you can kneel on a football field and, and nothing's really going to happen to you except for the social aspect of it. And I don't sure. think the government has as much control over our society as as it thinks it does <laughs> right yeah, sure. um I, I find guys like you know mitch mcconnell to be authoritarians who claim that they want to be uh democratic <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> and they so they're 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 participating in a system that they don't want to be a part of 
And um, I feel like our system needs to be a little bit more uh, responsive to people so that we can uh, move forward instead of in this constant perpetual state of wheel spinning that we're in. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll say this. I, I agree with what you're saying. I do. I, I, I always want to qualify my agreement with a million things, but, but like in this way, I don't really have a qualification. I, I think that January 6th, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting that we, that, that it kind of does come back to January 6th. And <laughs> I think that January 6th has really shaped me as a, somebody who's a 30 year old American citizen. And as somebody who, who thinks about this stuff, you know, like, has shaped me into thinking what exactly in what way do we need to act decisively as a government or as as a society to quell and say you know this is unacceptable we're not doing this you know and and then and then to marginalize viewpoints and behaviors that that are illiberal and anti-democratic and are no good and I, I really think that January 6th is this sort of watershed moment that like we're just not responding well enough to. And, and we're so, not, we're not responding to it at all. It's kind of disgusting actually. Right. Right. And, and when, when it really should be, like I said, you know, after this all happened, I was like, you know, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but uh, this is a, you know, what a great opportunity for Kamala Harris to have been president and not Joe Biden. <laughs> Cause you and I both know that Kamala Harris would have, happily thrown those people in Guantanamo Bay. Like, like you just would have been like, cool. Like, like you know, I, I'm so excited. I haven't been to Guant to, to Gitmo in a month. Like we're gonna we're gonna toss these motherfuckers away forever and you'll forget their names, you know, and yeah. then that'll be that. And we'll never think about it again. What we'll do is we'll put in the in the history books, January 6th happened, and then those people disappeared. Like, like and that was it. Like like and for me, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I've told this to you, I'm sure. Like I had I had professors in the department who were watching this happen and commenting on Twitter. Looks an awful lot like some domestic terrorists are climbing the Capitol building of the United <laughs> yeah. States. Maybe uh, we should be opening fire, you know, like 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 <laughs> is is killing people good? No. And and ultimately I'm not saying that. Ultimately, I ultimately I would be I would be horrified to watch people get shot out off of the off of the capitol building i would that's not how we do things um that being said (laughs) that 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 being said there you're right i mean particular for this there should be swift and decisive action in which in which this is dealt with and we show the rest of the world and our own country this is what happens when you decide to try to attack the democratic experiment of this country, like that's not what we do. We don't do that. You got a problem with everybody up here. You work democratically to fix it. You don't, right. you don't say today we are going to initiate project alpha and, and run in and see if we can kidnap Nancy Pelosi today. Like, like that's not, yeah. no, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> not how that works. Um, that's what I want to see at the very least for that, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not an anarchist, you know, I'm not one of those, I'm not, I'm not one of the guys who are just like, yeah, there should be no laws. I'm like, no, yeah. laws are. Laws let's are have a purge. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's purge, you know, today. I'm like, no, let's, 
let's not burge and let's have laws. Um, I, but I do think that uh, if there is a law, um, if, uh, gosh, what am I trying to say? If there is something that, if there is a law that is broken that demands the sort of swift action, it's things like that. Yeah. Things like that, that, that truly do violate the entire, you know, the building blocks of, of how we conduct ourselves in our system. You know, I, uh, for the first time, this is a quick side thing. Well, it's not really a side thing. It's connected. I, I got to watch, um, or, or I was told in my, by my advisor, my advisor teaches like a, like a, like a Christianity one-on-one course at UVA. And, and he told me the other day, he's like, for the first time in my career, and he's like, and this is all Trump. This is all, it's not that it's all Trump. It's all the movements that are, so, are associated with Trump. For the first time in my career, I had a student who, who just belligerently, you know, pushed back on what I was teaching and, and sort of the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and felt that I was too left-wing was presenting the gospel in too liberal of a way and whatever. And he's like, Ethan, I've been doing this for 15, 16 years. Plenty of students have disagreed with me and plenty of students have voiced that disagreement with me in a one-on-one meeting, in an email, in a, in a paper. I've never penalized them for it. And, and he's like, and in this class, as this was happening, I didn't silence him. I just demanded that he follow the rules of academia and, and tell me, why he was right and i was wrong and mm-hmm. and me and 110 other students in this lecture hall watched as this kid sputtered and died you know right mm-hmm. in front of us because that's what you do you, well, you tell people no you're following the rules and if you can't accomplish what you're doing by following the rules what you're doing is illegitimate right and so it's that simple you know? and i think that we've lost the ability uh, we've lost the ability to uh, to persuade people anymore sure. like we we've lost the ability to have discourse and to disagree and win people's opinions over we just shout them down right yeah we we don't we don't have the ability to change each other's minds anymore for some reason like very often people aren't open to you know discussion or debate they just want it their way and i don't know how you fix that but i can tell you uh if I would have behaved that way with my father, I would have been the one missing teeth sure. <laughs> you know? and it would have been quick and it would have been decisive and it would have been over. And the next day we would have moved on. So yeah. that's what I'm trying to, to point yeah. out. Now I'm sure we're going to, a lot of people are, if, well, all seven of them are going to listen to this and think, what the hell's Matt talking about this episode? No, no. And we're probably going to get a lot of hate mail. So go ahead and send it to That'd what the cool. hell is a pastor at uh, what the hell's exactly, exactly. Send it, <laughs> send it to Joe showing wolf, you know, <laughs> and all the, all the hate mail to her. Yeah. But yeah, I just, it, it, I wanted to take a, a kind of an unpopular opinion on the left and and expose it and explore it so thanks for giving me that opportunity (laughs) i'm glad you did it no i think i think we have to you know i am i am often you know by way of at least my wrap up on my end you know i am often um i'm always interested in debate and persuasion i really am particularly after after embracing my inner political liberal like i'm like yeah i mean we we should we absolutely should be able to out of common respect for each other 
have debate and conversation and tr- and legitimately try to persuade one another using honesty, you know, honesty right. at the very least. Like, I, I believe that all kinds of tactics can be used to persuade people as long as all of them are honest. You know, right. if if one of the tactics is it, if one of the tactics of the civil rights movement is look at these black, look at these black babies, these black babies are getting murdered. That's an honest tactic. Right. It is honest, and it's it's a motive. Nobody's making a philosophical argument there. Everybody's just like, take a look at that baby. What are you going to do about it? You know, that's a real thing. That that's fine. I'm all for that. What what is always frustrating to me, it's always been, and and there was a time when I was entertained by it, and I'm just not entertained by it anymore. Is I I cannot have debates in bad faith. I can't mm-hmm. do it. I can't. I'm I'm. I'm just not capable of of like making myself debate a devil's advocate who is doing that on purpose. Who's just like, well, well, or or I can't make myself debate somebody who who has already decided at the outset. Not that he's right. I'm fine with some. I want to debate people who think they're right. Like like I think yeah. I'm right. But who's decided at the outset that that. There is no other way forward, you know, Um, and and to me, that is that is. Last week, I talked about Jeffrey Stout's book telling us that democracy Mm -hmm. is a practice that that if it's not practiced, it falls apart. Like that's an example of that. As debate and as honest, good faith debate is is practiced less and less then there's really no way forward except with power there's really no way forward except by just telling people this is what you're going right. to do now and I, and I think i think persuasion lends itself too easily to manipulation right um and if you're not will if you you can't be in a conversation with somebody and and actively be trying to persuade them if you're not willing to be persuaded yourself right if you are not willing to be persuaded yourself, then you are just being manipulative. You're right. You're right. And and what makes it hard, what makes our system hard, folks and listeners, if you're still with us, is uh, <laughs> they haven't left them. <laughs> you've been like, what are they talking about? Um, what what uh, what makes this kind of shit hard is there are no kind of forceful coercive ways to make people want to be persuaded or or be willing to be persuaded and be willing to be vulnerable this is something you the right talks about personal responsibility a ton the left does too by the way it's just that we don't make that our entire personality um (laughs) but like like the right talks about personal responsibility all the time here's your shot yeah this is an example of of disciplined personal responsibility, which is we go forward in debate and you are open and, and vulnerable to being persuaded. And if you do that, I'll do that. Uh, yeah. it, I'm not going to do that for both of us because, because right. all, all what that means is what it what has always happened, you know, in in or not always happened, but has happened quite often in the last 15 years is the right comes forward and says debate us and the left goes okay and then we all go to the right you know (laughs) (laughs) debate me and then we all go to the right 
because the right isn't many folks on the right aren't interested in being persuaded they're not interested in being vulnerable right again uh a beanbag round can be pretty fucking persuasive (laughs) that's true that's true (laughs) and uh and in light of that if you're gonna get on the capitol we're gonna shoot you with a beanbag round how's that sound (laughs) it would hurt and maybe that should happen I uh, by by way of my ending, I remember uh, watching a video. I think it was I don't think CNN covered. It. I think it was on like like it was like a slate. The, the oh, no, online magazine. You watch like like Newsmax or. Yeah, it wasn't Newsmax. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. You know me. Right part. Um, uh, the Drudge Report. Drudge Report. There was this video right after, like it was right on January sixth, and it was a couple who had stormed the Capitol, uh, a woman and a man, and they had been hit with tear gas. And uh, this woman, you know, kind of said to the camera, I think it's unacceptable that the police are tear gassing us. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're, we're not the enemy here. Black Lives Matter is the enemy. They should be tear gassing them. And yeah. I sat there and I'm, and I'm like, man, we have, we have crossed into a twilight zone where, <laughs> where, where it's just incapable of learning, like incapable of putting it together. And that's the thing. That person would probably listen to some of the statements I made in this this conversation and go, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'm talking about you, lady. (laughs) Right, right. You're the one that should be your gas lady. Like, like, give me a break. Oh, Lord. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. Wrap it up. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan. We will see you next time.